Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma and you've ordered up Scrambled Eggs today on localjobnetwork.com radio. Here on Scrambled Eggs, we take more of a laid-back, entertaining approach to the employment realm, giving us a chance to simply pick the brains of a variety of successful people in just about any industry. Our guest today has definitely enjoyed a tremendous amount of success as a soccer coach, racking up the most wins in North American indoor soccer history, primarily as the head man of the Milwaukee Wave for the past two decades. Joining me in the studio today is Keith Tozer, Senior Vice President of Soccer Operations and the head coach of the Milwaukee Wave. Keith, thanks a lot for coming in today. Good morning, my pleasure. Two two decades, wow. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't mean I never to, heard that before. I, I, I didn't mean to make you feel older or anything like that. No, that's but. okay. A lot of success, obviously. That's why you've been here for so long. Um, I guess for those who are unaware, because our listeners obviously run the gamut of, of who they are, how would you describe the Milwaukee Wave just as a whole? Well, obviously, we're another entertainment uh, option for people within the southeastern uh, Wisconsin, if not the entire state, most notably in the sports world, as you know, you know, with the Bucks and Brewers, the Admirals and the Packers, mm-hmm. uh, Marquette basketball, UWM basketball. Uh, you know, the wave has had a niche, and hopefully we're continuing to grow. But you don't have to be a fan of soccer to like indoor soccer, even though it's the foundation. I mean, we have uh, the confines of a hockey rink with rules like power plays and man downs like hockey. We have uh, tactics like basketball where you have zone defenses and man to mans. You have the physical contact, maybe not so much like football, but uh, <laughs> you do have physical contact. So it's a great sport. So I've always said you don't have to be a fan of, of soccer to love indoor soccer. Well, and definitely there's a lot of areas that I, I wanted to touch on, I mean, both the sports side and the business side of things. And, and you brought it up, the idea that you have, you know, obviously the Milwaukee Brewers here, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Green Bay Packers are huge in the state of Wisconsin. When you look at those teams, are they seen more as competitors? Is there a relationship there that can can help the way? What's sort of the dynamic between all of you? That's a very good question. You know, when, when I first came here and, and we learned, or I learned about all the different sports we have here, I always thought it was a plus. And, mm-hmm. and some people said, well, you know, when one team loses, you know, maybe they go on to another team. I don't think that's true. I think, Tim, when other franchises and other sports win, it becomes a culture within a city. Sure. Now, obviously, sports within uh, a city entices people to move here. It entices uh, corporations uh, to move here. Uh, it gives a better quality of life. And, and because we have so much of it, and the one thing that I found was that if you look at Milwaukee, against contrast to any other city in the country, we have Major League Baseball, we have Major League Football, we have Major League, uh, we have NBA basketball, we have hockey, we have indoor soccer, we have college sports. Right. Within a close proximity where you don't have to kill yourself driving a car, meaning the traffic, and you don't have to go a long distance. It's an amazing place. So I, I really think when when the Packers win, then it moves on and pushes the Brewers to win, and then it pushes on us to win. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's so much better for the sports. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, obviously being in the city for a long time as well, you feel that energy and everyone's like, oh, this is great going here. Let's try this out. It, and There you go. Exactly right. You know, they've had a great time at one sporting event during the winter, and now they say, hey, let's try some other sport during the summer. It definitely Definitely, definitely helps. From the from the same thing or the same side of looking at it, clearly the Brewers and Packers are, are at a different level in terms of fan base and recognition. So how does the wave need to be different in terms of maybe drawing people in or playing off of those other sports? What are some of the, maybe the strategies you use? Well, you know, we're, we're pretty much uh, grassroots. We, we don't have uh, the amount of money that the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball mm-hmm. has in order to drive the marketing arm. 
So in that part, we have to be grassroots. And what do I mean by that is, you know, we still have our advertising packages and, you know, in electronic media. Uh, we still do some billboards, uh, but a lot of it is through emails, through Facebook, okay. through uh, flyers for stuff like that. And then the other thing the other sports have that we don't really have is, and they don't buy it. You know, for instance, during the Packers season, there's an article every day in the journal. Right. Uh, there's an article every day during the summer on Major League Baseball. And, and they don't pay for those. They just happen to get those. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we don't have. And I, I really felt and feel that if we had that part, that it would help us tremendously. But it's a, it's a crusade that we're still on, and, and hopefully uh, we'll get better at it. Now, you know, the Wave have been around since 1984. It's been promoted as, you know, the longest-running uh, professional soccer franchise in the U.S. So clearly there's been an amount of success, business side, sports side. Have there been other philosophies or strategies that, that you've seen that have worked or maybe adjustments that have been made from, you know, the time you got here in 92 to the point we're at now that have allowed them to, to really be successful still when other teams have folded, leagues have disbanded, that sort of thing, but the wave is still here after almost 30 years now. Well, I, I think one thing is that after these 29 years, we've only had really four ownership groups, really five, but uh, one was the same. Uh, the Ron Creighton and Jim Peter had left and then had come back again. And, and right now, Jim Lindenberg, who was a very savvy businessman uh, at World Class Wire and Cable, has really brought in a, dif- a different philosophy mm-hmm. and really kind of turned this thing around. And and he told me, because, you know, it's not going to be like in the first year that I can turn this around. It's going to take several years. And right now, uh, as, as Jim puts it, we're trending in all different areas the, the, the right way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's positive. You know, a lot of time, Tim, in sports is that people buy professional sports teams maybe for turning it around 20 years from now when they sell it. Or they buy it for other reasons. They buy it because they have a political aspirations. They, they, they have other companies that they want to use it. Maybe their children play a certain sport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've just been fortunate that we've been able to have uh, such great owners, uh, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 29 years that the Krause family had it. And I already talked about Jim and Ron, of course, uh, uh, Jim Lindenberg. You know, it, it's just something that now with the economy the way it is, it's not so much for the love of it. Uh, it's got to be make right business sense. Sure. And, and that's what Jim's trying to do. That side of it's always been a little intriguing. You know, the idea of sports and business, because as a fan, most fans of any sport, you know, it's just it's about winning. It's do everything you can. And they get upset when you lose a player because of financial th- reasons or, you know, maybe some other aspect it hurts the team because you're trying to also run a business. What are some of those unique challenges that that you see maybe from your experience, people you talk to in, you know, running that traditional business, you know, office setting, that kind of thing versus running an actual sports franchise where there are obviously other dynamics? Well, motion is brought on by emotions and sports brings a lot of emotions. And, you know, one of the issues you just touched on is that there's a player that might make us a better team, but at the end of the day might might hurt the bottom line. Right. And, and if we have to let our player go, uh, obviously, they've had connections, let's say, with the booster club, with fans, and uh, puts me in a precarious situation <laughs> because no matter if I thought it was a good move for the franchise, and, you know, obviously they look at me as, you know, the bad guy <laughs> or why did he do that? Right. And so there is much more emotions when that comes to it. And that also, also comes from, you know, in normal business, you know, you go by quarters. You know, did we make money in this quarter and how's it look for the half a year and at the end of the year? You know, 
sports is every week. On Thursday, you're winning, you're happy. Saturday, you're losing, you're down. <laughs> Things are, you know, going this way and going that way. So it, it is a unique business, has the same kind of foundations and business mm-hmm. sense, but there is more emotions, in, I think, in, involved in it than, than other businesses. How much of winning and success on the field really fuels the profitability of the franchise and maybe even more so with the wave which is obviously smaller than as you mentioned the 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 major pro sports is it strongly tied can it is there an ebb and flow to it? i mean how would you describe maybe like a percentage or a ratio of it first and foremost i think fans want to come and see men and women play as hard as they possibly can from the first whistle to the last whistle. Especially like an area like Milwaukee, it seems like, or kind of blue-collar type areas. There's no question about that. So if I'm going to spend X amount of dollars, even if the team loses, I can say, you know what, that team from the beginning to the end played extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the number one thing. And then the entertainment package, which is circled around that. For instance, like in baseball, you have tailgating and you have different things between innings and football, tailgating and everything else going on. Uh, But at the end of the day, all that hard work has to transcend sometimes into winning. Uh, I've always said if you can win a majority of your home games, split on the road, you're always in the hunt in the Mm -hmm. playoffs. Now, we obviously, you know, I just told the team yesterday, we're 35 and 8 in our last two seasons, pretty good record. <laughs> um, I, I think we're, we haven't been below 500 in over 20 years. How that helps us on the field and in corporate, I know it helps us in the corporate sponsorship area because when a master lock wants to be tied with the company, they, they know that they're a company of excellence and they want to be with a sports team of excellence. So mm-hmm. Master Lock is a sponsor of ours. So winning is really important for the sponsorship part. Sure. Um, I think winning is important to the summer camp program. Mm-hmm. I think people really want to come out and see guys who are, are not only great players, but also good coaches. As far as putting butts in the seats, I think it's definitely important in order to put butts in the seats. We just got to do a little bit better a job with the Milwaukee Wave. But you, you can tell with the other local teams, you know, they're not losing, and, you know, your attendance is a couple thousand. All of a sudden, they start winning, media gets involved, fans get involved, and there's this kind of like orchestra that just starts building and building and building. If we look at it from maybe a, the business standpoint a little bit, um, for yourself personally, mm-hmm. obviously, as I said, being Milwaukee uh, with the way for a, a number of years now, have there been certain things that you've learned over that time that maybe – if you did choose to go into another industry or, or move on in your career somewhere that, that you could translate it there, what sort of things have you picked up? Everything. Really? Yeah. As a manager, you know, I, I have several hats on this team, or mm-hmm. I should say many hats on this team. But if we just talk about the sport itself, you know, I'm a manager, which means I have to go out and select players and I have to, you know, uh, do the contracts and, and, and manage all the stuff that's involved in that. Then I have to coach, which really comes during the games uh, and, and coach a game. And then I... I'm a teacher, uh, and I have to teach. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other things that are wrapped around that, but I'm no different than a foreman in a factory. I'm no different than a CEO of a company. I have a product. I have a service. I have to get people in my office and my factory together on a team, which is just like the Milwaukee Wave. Uh, they have to know where they're going. I think it's really important because a lot of people get hired, and they get hired, and then they get forgotten about. They, mm-hmm. they don't know what their responsibilities are. They don't know what their goal is. They don't know what their role is. And, and I think that we do a very good job with the team and, and the Milwaukee Wave that everybody understands why they're there, where they're going, how to get there, and then also, you know, what's the end product. And uh, selling cars, selling machines— 
you know, selling a service. I, I, there's so many things that I've learned over the years that transcends easily into the business world. I love that you bring that up. And that's part of the reason, you know, having these different perspectives like you have that there are these similarities. As you mentioned, there's so much emotion with sports, especially from the fan side of things that typically they're not going to look at it that way. But um, clearly you're able to relate it that way. And it makes sense when you really break it down. With that in mind, when you're talking about acquiring players, who you're looking at, as you mentioned, those are your employees, essentially. There's always, we talk about with employers, this balance of skill and experience versus, you know, maybe a personality or a fit, um, you know, which obviously relates with sports as well. Is there a point where you you do overlook, you know, maybe a little bit of lack in skill because of maybe a mentality they have or, or other, you know, other traits they bring to the table? I mean, how do you balance that in terms of skill versus maybe some of those intangibles that we look at? Well, I can overlook skill if a player is an extremely hard worker and a man of character. Okay. I, I won't overlook skill and take a player if in the character category that he is someone that you cannot trust, who's not going to be loyal, who's someone at the end of the day is not going to be there when it, when it gets going. That's one thing that we've really prided ourselves over these years at the Milwaukee Wave is I call them, they're, they're men of character, Michael King, Victor Nagara, sure. Stevie Morris, Brian Lofton, into modern day Wave, Juliano Oliveira and Joe Hamas, I mean, uh, Nick Vorberg, mm-hmm. uh, Marcio Liete, uh, that list goes on and on and on. And how I call it is a transfer of a tendency from one generation to another passing the torch. And that's really important for us because when you have men or women who really believe in your product or service, really believe in what they're doing, and they'll do anything in order to be successful in, in line of character, mm-hmm. then you have a great team and a great organization. No, I'm not asking you to name any names, obviously, but I mean, can you give us sort of an example of maybe where there was somebody with, that had tremendous skill, uh, depending on whatever you were looking for at that time, but you just felt, man, I, I just have questions about character or maybe it was some sort of other fit within the team. Um, I mean, can you sort of give us just an example? Again, no names necessary, but. Yeah, um, there has been several players over the years that I felt that I could turn as a manager that needed help. I even had players come and live with me in order to help them out. And wow. and, and early on, Tim, I, I normally, you have A players, you have B players, and you have C players. Okay. And they all have different characteristics. A's are definitely people that you want on the team. They're learners. They're multifunctional. They're self-motivating. Uh, they're hardworking people. Skip the beads, go right to the C's. They're not those. In fact, they think they should be the manager or, or, or the coach. I always had a difficult time getting rid of the C's because I felt if I did, I didn't wasn't doing my job as a teacher. Now I've learned that maybe they just don't work on this team sure. or maybe they should be in a different sport or a different uh, industry. Um, so there has been some guys where we, we've tried to change, we've tried to nurture, and, and it just doesn't work out. And, and we had to let them go or trade them or cut them. And that's the only part of this entire job that I don't like, to tell a young man it's not working out for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you have to go. But as a manager, you have to do that. But we, we've we've had some issues over the years where some guy just sees it a different way than we see it, and, and you got to move him on. I mean, do you see that as a big reason as for the prolonged success that you've had? Because you, you've pretty much stuck to those philosophies and said – at some point, the character or, or mentality of that person trumps that skill set? Yeah, there's no question. I, I always think that people, you can look straight in the eye and you can trust 
that they feel that they can improve on a daily basis. You know, Michael King played until he was 44 years old along with Victor Nogueira. And Victor is the best goalkeeper that has ever played the game of indoor. And that's no disrespect to Nick Vorberg or Marcel Feenstra who's playing right now Mm because they're tremendous goalkeepers. And Michael King played to his 44, the all-time leading goal scorer. And these guys every day thought there was some way, be it psychologically or technically or tactically or physically, that they could get better. And I think that's what kept those guys going for so long. And I see that in the normal workplace where, you know, success breeds people to get lazy and they don't have to do the things that they did in order to get there. And and a lot of these guys, uh, they continue to, to try to get better. And I think that's part of our success. When you're looking at guys and, and you know bringing them in or talking to them, I mean, is there a, really like a formal type interview process where you are asking them certain questions to, to try to discover these things? Because sometimes maybe you don't know, and obviously you talk to your connections you have and you have plenty around the, the different leagues. Um, what is that like when you do talk to a player and try to figure out if they are that fit? Well, I th- I th- the key thing you said is talk to other people. Mm. I think in the interview process, there's a lot of good things that you can get from an individual prior to hiring them, but there's nothing better than talking to an ex-employer, an ex-coach, a friend to to really find out about that individual. Um, So what I try to do is I try to drill back uh, into their other coaches, be it in college or in the national team or whatever, to find out you know, what kind of character these guys have. The skill point, you watch film, you've seen them play and stuff like that. But, you know, it's an entire package and you can't always be right on it. You know, that's sure. the key thing. And and so, yeah, we try to try to do as much investigation as we can in order to try to get the best player we can. You mentioned that really your position and you take on a ton of different hats and many things. People, even fans of the wave wouldn't even realize probably that you're doing. Uh, but as you said, it's like a manager, upper level management type of the type of things you do. Is there something or, or one or two things that you would tell you know anyone listening as a manager? Just don't ever do this. This isn't a good strategy. Um, you know, based on your experience or different things that you've seen and done. I mean, is there something out there that you would say not going to work? Stay away from it. That kind of thing. Well, you know, early on in my coaching career, the transfer of the tendency from someone else to me was uh, a tough coach, someone who would get on people, someone who uh, maybe spoke loud or, you know, even yelled and stuff like that. I've learned how to adapt over the years where Mm. I still have that in me, but I don't use it unless I really need it. Right. Um, I, I think nowadays with self-esteem issues and everything else going on, um, I think you definitely as a manager uh, have to learn how to communicate with an employee. Um, you know, I, I play a lot of golf and still to this day, every time I approach the ball, I have to tell myself, keep my head down, keep my <laughs> eye on the ball, other than on the putting green. Sure. And if I don't remind myself, then my ball a lot of time goes astray. And it's when I talk to a player or talk to an employee, I have to remind myself not to keep my head down, but keep my mouth quiet. Just listen, listen first. And before I didn't do that, it was always blah, 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 I'd say it and then try to listen to the employee. So um, I, I would say that, you know, there's definitely, it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. Be careful what you say and and also listen to what that individual has to say and and. Those are some of the biggest things that I picked up other than making sure that every employee knows why they're there sure. and where they're going. I think that and so is so important. Obviously, we're trying to relate a lot of this stuff to the average listener who can compare it to the place they're working, whether they be a manager or just you know an everyday employee type thing. But when we're talking about the side of sports, and you mentioned you know at times maybe you were a yeller, and I think a lot of fans 
te- technically, a lot of times they like to see that in a coach. You know, it's like that fiery kind of idea. Should there, though, be an understanding among fans who do work in a, you know, your maybe traditional job that there is a separation still between the sports world, you know, at being a business and their job? Because you'll hear fans say, well, like, if I did that at my job, blah, blah, blah would happen. There still needs to be some sort of separation, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I think there is a separation. I think it's a different industry, uh, obviously. There might be different ingredients and elements that are different. For instance, like a basketball coach, he's on the sidelines in a college game or a professional game, and he's communicating to his players, uh, both with body language and, and through vocals, uh, what he likes and what he doesn't like. Mm. For me, for a player to walk past me, uh, you know, where I substituted the player and, and not address him, not not to pat him on the back or sure. not to say great job or or say something like, hey, it's got to get better. Uh, I'm just a passionate guy, so so I like to bring it. Other coaches don't do that. But it, it's for sure when when fans go and they see a coach on the sidelines, they, there's all different kinds of coaches, and uh, it is a little bit different than the foreman or a CEO in a company. If we look at the sport a little bit as a whole, um, you know, it's just first with soccer. Obviously, I think most people listening, whether they're fans or not, recognize it's it's the most popular sport in the world. And, you know, the U.S. has made strides in terms of the fan base and, and talent. Um, you see that with some of the leagues and obviously in the World Cup, um, some of the more s- successful teams. Are you surprised negatively, positively, that it isn't even bigger? Do you think it's it's good where it's at in the U.S.? I mean, just kind of what's your overall take when you look at the sport of soccer in the United States? Well, I, I kind of put our sport where I think – you know, we, we have the NFL, NBA, National Hockey League, uh, Major NBA, League Baseball, right, did I yeah, forget that? Yeah. They all have been around for about 100 years. Right. They're more of a religion here, and, and no disrespect to me, obviously, but, you know, they're ingrained in our society, Grandfa- mm-hmm. great-grandfather to grandfather to father to son to daughter to whatever. Soccer, both indoor and outdoor, hasn't been lo- here that long. Right. So I, th- I think as this... Like I said before, this crusade keeps going and going, and I, I think we're starting to get a bigger niche in, in the community. Plus, our country is so large. Can you imagine taking the National Football League and putting it in the state of Wisconsin? <laughs> and and instead of the Packers in Green Bay, they're playing now Dallas, which is in Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. But that's such a close proximity now, so now it's community against community. And then maybe Oshkosh is more Catholic, where Green Bay is more Protestant, so then you have a religion <laughs> aspect. In right, it. right. And that's what you have in Europe. True. You, you, you have so many different elements that, that get born into that equation that, that make it so big around the world. And, and soccer is a, is a sport of, uh, you know, the, 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 the working class around the world, and, and that's the only sport they have, and they back it up. But to really answer your question, we've made great strides, mm-hmm. but we have a still a long way to go. Now, is it fair also to, to mention that, you know, in, obviously in all the other, essentially in all the other countries, I mean, soccer is like the sport, number one, whereas here, not just fan divide, but talent-wise, you look at players in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. I mean, do you ever think about, man, what if that guy decided to play soccer? I mean, do you see like maybe that's where some of the talent gap might be missing as well? Well, we've definitely uh, made a huge cut in that gap between Mm -hmm. do I go play football or do I go play soccer? Do I go play basketball? Do I go play soccer? Uh, Soccer is the largest participation sport in North America. That way it's growing by leaps and bounds. There is a disconnect between playing and participating and being a spectator. And that's something that we're trying to figure out. But we have some tremendous athletes that are now picking soccer as, as their number one sport. 
I think you're going to have more and more do that. And I think when you do that, you know, professionally and also our national teams will be much better in the world. If we look at the indoor game itself, you know, I, and I think it's even oftentimes promoted as more of an Americanized version, you know, higher scoring, a little faster pace, which Americans obviously tend to enjoy more. What's your view on that in terms of the inroads? Obviously, in Milwaukee, it's been successful. Other, you know, a number of other cities, it's it's been a, a pretty consistent, you know, factor there. Have you been disappointed? It hasn't gotten bigger. I mean, me personally, I'm a little surprised it hasn't. I know, you know, we've had some games on like ESPN two and stuff like that. Um, you know, championship game a couple of years ago, I think. Um, I guess what's your overall take with the indoor game and, and what it's doing? I, I love the indoor game. I, I started in 1978 with the Cincinnati Kids. Pete Rose was my owner. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've coached for the LA Lasers, where Jerry Buss from the NBA owned the team. Uh, See, no, I didn't. I didn't. I did not know like those. Those are two big names in the world of sport. I had no idea they were even yeah, a part of that back well, then. Well, we had the Barlows, who had the right. 49ers, and and the uh, the Pittsburgh uh, uh, Penguins. They they had a team. You had okay. the Kraft family, the Hunt family. There, there was huge families, actually. Back in their in mid '80s, the MISL was bigger, really, than the than the NBA. I mean, it was we had 24 teams right. around the country, and then of course uh, the Stern took over the NBA's commissioner, and then Magic and and Larry Bird uh, <laughs> came into it, and that's where these the NBA really took a big shout right. out. But to answer your question, am I disappointed? I'm not disappointed in any one person or any one company. But you know, just here in Milwaukee, I think we've done so much in the community. Uh, and that's one reason why why Mr. Linderberg bought the team. It was is because of the community right. uh, aspect. We've done so much in the community: charity events, appearances, summer camps. We put a very good product on the field. For us, not to have eight or nine thousand, yeah, I, I I'm a little miffed at times. Mm-hmm. I understand where we are in the sport, whatever tag you want to put on us. Uh, I understand Major League Baseball and football and all of that. They're the, the top four. But I think as far as our pricing, the entertainment value, what we give to a company for 12 months, put all those ingredients, I, I'm, I'm a little miffed and disappointed that we are not bigger than we are right now. I mean, I, I definitely echo your sentiments. I mean, I, I was there a number of games where, I mean, you know, I think uh, one of the title games is 14,000 in the Bradley Center when you guys still played over there. And um, at times you've averaged, I mean, really good numbers and over 200,000 people in, in a season, I think is tremendous. So um, I definitely see where you're coming from with that and, and the success, the, the long running success. You did mention the some of the community work and charities, and I definitely wanted to get to that too, because I think that is a, a big part of it. If you could maybe go into a little detail about some of the things you mentioned, the camps, um, some of the school visits. Maybe, you know, the purposes of them and and how important it is for a franchise like the Wave. Well, it's really important, one, that we give back to the community, and second, that we brand our our sport for 12 months. And so giving back to the community, hundreds of of charity events, be it a golf event, Mm -hmm. be it going to children's hospital, be it donating stuff for uh, different uh, fundraisers around the community. So many of the players and and the coaching staff and the owners and everybody are involved in a lot of different charities. And and it's I think it's a responsibility that us being in sports that we we have to give back and it's extremely important. And then I think the brand awareness that we have to continue to keep our name out there mm. uh, when the season is over. Uh, the summer camp program has been huge. We're now offering futsal. We're going to make an announcement very shortly about a huge program involved in futsal in the state of Wisconsin, uh, trying to find different revenue streams to go with that. But we're, we're trying to brand ourselves all, all season long doing that. We have two school day games, 
which are Adelie games, okay. uh, during the winter where instead of a child going to the zoo or to the museum for a field trip, right. they come down to Milwaukee Wave game, okay. uh, which is kind of like an inner squad game. We have 8,000 kids come in here at the next one coming up. Nice. We have a summer day game. Uh, during the summer in July, we'll have 8,000 in that game. Uh, we have beach soccer. We just mentioned futsal. So there's a lot of things that we're trying to do in order to keep our name going for 12 months. If you're talking to other you know, organizations, and again, we, we realize it's different, uh, the sports side versus maybe traditional business, but you mentioned things about branding and, and giving back to the community. Uh, I mean, what sort of general advice would you give or just you know, kind of your take to any employer out there, as far as giving back or finding a niche in the community, you know, for you guys, obviously you have the camps where they can be learning skills. It could obviously relate to empl- other employers as well. What sort of, uh, I mean, your general advice, the idea of giving back and, and dealing with communities? Well, I, I, I've met so many people in the business world in Wisconsin the last 20 some odd years that there are so many companies here that do give back to the charity aspect of our community, that do give back to other factions that need money, be it the homeless Mm -hmm. or breast cancer and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people in the business world understand that it is important that they take care of that. And then within a company, you have employees that sometimes either they fall into an issue, let's say breast cancer or you know, something else happens and that that borns their commitment to that certain charity. And and that's one reason why I've been here for so long is that this is a very given community. Uh, I think from from our, our government, uh, through the private sector, into the sports world, I think so many of these people really reach out to really give back. It's unique. It's unique community, no question about it. If you were to ever think about, and maybe you have, uh, moving on in some capacity, do you see? Would you see yourself in any particular industry, or maybe some sort of, uh, you know, passion that you've developed that sort of thing? Have you have that crossed your mind, or if it had, where would you maybe look to go? Well, about uh, seven, almost eight years now, I started a, a motivational company called Teamwork Concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, I do seminars for companies uh, across the country. Uh, I think. Um, uh, we have a, I have a message to give. Uh, as I said, I'm no different than a manager or a CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a message to give. I, I design my speeches uh, from what the company's actually looking, what seeds they want planted, what's their theme of the conference. I design all the speeches differently. Uh, so I, I really have a passion for that. But if something happened where I had to go find something else, um, I really feel that I could I could go into a lot of different industries, a lot of different service areas, any any walk of life. And I, I think I got good manager skills and know how to get people together and get motivated and move in a direction. So there's a lot of different things that I think I could fall into. So uh, I love the business world. It's another passion of mine also. Um, so I'm, right now I'm going with the wave. And we're not trying to uh, you know give you an online application or no, anything that's okay. here. <laughs> but I like it. I like the question. <laughs> And, and, you know, and with that, you know, as we look to wrap things up a little bit, um, clearly, again, the success of the way for people who don't know, I mean, unbelievable amount of, of winning. You have six championships in the last 15 years, I, I believe, um, including four other games that, unfortunately, you lost in the championship. Uh, you know, you, again, you've drawn over three million fans over the years. So there's been plenty of success. You mentioned um, your passion with, with speaking and that sort of thing. If you were writing the book on keys to success, you know, one or two major factors, that sort of thing, you have plenty of people that are going to be listening that are in those positions or want to be, uh, what would you offer up? What would you give them? I think all successful people in all walk of life, I think the biggest first key is you must be passionate. I think people who are passionate about what they do and where they're going, I think 
really have a huge step on everybody else. I think you have to be a learner. I think you have to be able to take in information about your product, your service, the industry you're in, and I think you have to learn uh, more and more each day on how to get better at the big things. I think sweating the details, the little things that make a good team a champion team and the little things that make a, a good company a great company. You add hard work, you add loyalty, you add determination, you add all those other ingredients. I think those are the keys to success. Well, Keith, thank you uh, very much for bringing us you know, your unique perspective with the, the sports side, the business side, and obviously um, all of your experience that you brought with. If people are interested in, in hopefully coming out to the games and watching the Wave or maybe some other of the events that you guys have, uh, where can people find you? Well, they can go to milwaukeewave.com. That's our website. Uh, our phone number at the office is 414-224-9283. You know, if there is a company out there that wants to be involved with the professional sports team, it's not a lot of money depending on what package you want. You can be branded all year. Please call the Wave office. If, if you want to have your kids go to summer camps, call the Wave office. We do over 250 school appearances. That's called the Making Waves uh, program. Call the Wave office. We have a charity, 501c3, called the Wave of Hope. If you'd like to get involved in our charity, again, call the Wave office. So <laughs> we have a lot of different things that we can offer uh, not only individuals but uh, companies as well. Thanks again, Keith. We, we definitely appreciate your insight on all this. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for us here on Scrambled Eggs, part of localjobnetwork.com radio. Our in-studio guest once again was Keith Tozer, Senior Vice President of Soccer Operations and Head Coach of the Milwaukee Wave. To all the listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. Please feel free to send us your questions and comments to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>